Hello everyone, I'm Carolyn Kozlowski, founder of the specialty caddy commerce site, my3cats.com. And I have on the line, Bernadette Kosmarski, award-winning artist and writer and founder of The Creative Cat. Hi, Bernadette. Hi, Carolyn, how are you? I'm really great. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty well. I've got a kitty on my lap and a bunch of sleeping kitties around me. It couldn't be better. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> well, we want to welcome all of you to our podcast today, A Day in the Life of a Cat Rescuer, What You Should Know About TNR. We're going to find out exactly what's involved in cat rescue through the eyes of a veteran cat rescuer and learn about trap, hit, or return, a common practice of cat rescue organizations that's making a significant difference in managing feral cat populations across the country. Let's start out by telling you a little bit more about who we are. So my3cats.com is an established e-commerce site. We specialize in offering the very best in unique cat products and cat lover gifts on the market. Uh, our passion for cats started well over 20 years ago when we opened a brick and mortar store in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, we're serving a much broader cat loving market across the US and abroad with our wide array of lifestyle products to make the bond between you and your cat the best it could be. As founder of My3Cats.com, I'm really excited to bring you this podcast special, and I know you'll take away some valuable information. Whether you're just an interested listener, currently involved in cat rescue yourself, or want to start getting involved. Now, I'd like to say a few words about our guest today, Bernadette Kazmarski. Under the supervision of her rescue and foster cats, Bernadette Kazmarski is author of the award-winning daily blog, The Creative Cat featuring stories on feline and pet health, welfare, adoption and rescue, plus humor, photography and fine art. She works at home as a self-employed commercial artist and writer, graphic designer and illustrator. It's also a fine artist creating over 100 commissioned portraits of pets and their people, as well as landscape and wildlife artwork. Bernadette has been rescuing and fostering cats for 35 years, and she works with her local TNR organization to trap and transport and also to volunteer at high volume spay neuter clinics. Her, her current permanent collection of cats includes five incredible house panthers, and I know she's going to want to tell you more about those, and five former feral rescues in training and often includes feral kittens and a senior or geriatric kitty from TNR and rescue efforts. So Bernadette, we've been hearing about the concept of TNR, which stands for Trap, Neuter, Return, which has now been in practice for many years. And I thought we'd kick off our discussion with some fundamental questions about what TNR is all about. So would you please share with our audience the difference between a feral cat and a stray cat? And tell us a little bit more about where feral cats come from. Sure, um, and, and many people many people misuse the term feral where cats or other animals are concerned. Any animal, because not only cats can be feral, but we've heard about feral pigs and feral dogs, and it, is, it refers to an animal that is domesticated but did not grow up in, in communication with, in, in, you know, with humans. So when an animal grows up the same as with a human, whatever is in their environment when they're young 
what their mother introduces them to is a safe part of their world. Whatever wasn't there when they were growing up is not. So when you have kittens who grow up, even if they're underneath a porch, if they're not handled by humans, if, they, if they're not, you know, picked up, talked to the way we normally would treat a kitten, they don't accept humans in their lives. And that can seem very strange to people because they don't look like they're different. They look like any other cat in the world, but they are considered feral because they are not socialized to living with humans. And that's the key term. Um, and some people make the different make make the mistake of using the term to mean any cat who's living outdoors is a feral cat. No, those are some are strays, some are ferals, some have been abandoned, some are people's indoor outdoor cats. So a feral cat is really just the ones who did not socialize to humans during their formative months, you know, up to like say eight to twelve weeks. And um, so that's uh, and you really can't tell the difference. I see. You know, that that's really a great explanation because you're right. I mean, they look like any other cat, right? But, you know, they're they're just they're quite different in terms of their behavior. And and uh, so, you know, that's very insightful. So Thank just you. you're welcome. Uh, oftentimes, people who are involved in cat rescue will wonder, you know, why they see feral cats outside whose ear seems to be clipped off. Uh, the actual term for this is tipped. So can you explain what the term tipped means and why this is such a crucial part of the TNR process? Sure, that's an ear tip. And it's kind of a universal accepted way to show that even though this cat is outdoors, even though it may not be friendly, it has been spayed or neutered and it has had a rabies vaccine. That way, um, because cats tend to live in colonies wherever they're found, uh, you can tell the ones who do or don't need to be taken in for, you know, other other treatments. Um, it's typically the left ear, one quarter inch of the top of the left ear, uh, just so that everybody knows why, you know, that, that where to look. Um, because believe it or not, even though the, the kitty missing the tip of its ear can seem pretty obvious, there are times when the cat's holding its head where you can't tell if it's ear tipped or not. And so if you keep it consistent, it's, it's much easier to tell. Plus it's flat straight across, unlike when there's an injury where there may be notches or if, for instance, the cat had had frostbitten ears and they're crumpled down a little bit, um, it's just easier to distinguish that. So that denotes that the cat has been spayed or neutered and is generally part of a mansion colony. And that's the other important thing because someone has taken the care to take care of that cat and is probably feeding that cat. If the cat ends up in a shelter, that person is looking for that cat. So it's almost like an owned cat um, with a collar on. Wow, that, that's really interesting. So cats that have had their ears tipped, do they intend to then release them at that point? Yeah, typically they do. And, you know, in TNR, you can't always tell, you know, colonies are made up of mixed feral and socialized cats because often you'll find cats who somebody abandoned or who escaped from someone's house 
um, and you trap them, and they're just as wild in the in the trap as any other cat would be. But once they've been in the trap for a short time, they start to relax and feel a little safer, and then you can tell that they're friendly. Um, but sometimes you can't, and so typically every cat in the colony that's trapped is is you know given the surgery in his ear tip and sometimes it's only later that you find out that that that, that cat is a friendly cat it isn't a feral cat and here it has the ear tip but it doesn't really matter because you know it, in managing cat populations like this um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some, sometimes that's sometimes that's how it happens i see yeah. well that's interesting so let's take a moment to talk about the daily life of a feral cat so is it safe for feral cats to live the outdoor life? And um, if someone happens to run across a friendly feral and maybe attempts to catch them and take them to their local animal shelter thinking that they're doing the right thing, uh, what happens then? What can they expect to have happen at the shelter? Well, what generally happens at the shelter um, with, with feral cats, you know, shelters are charged with caring for all the animals that they take in. But they're, because of the press of the number of animals that go into most shelters, whatever kind they are, you know, um, whether they're, uh, you know, a county shelter, they're uh, just a, um, a holding place for animals, whatever they are, um, they have to be able to keep the animals safe and keep their staff safe, and they can only care for them within the confines of, of what they have on hand. And typically, you know, animals that are friendly and being held on to, animals that are not friendly, that can't be handled, if they can hold them somewhere until someone can come and claim them, uh, you know, that's, that's good. But most of the time, there really isn't room or staff for them to handle, to hold animals that can't be handled. So feral cats are often, I hate to say euthanized because it's not a good death if you're not ready for it, um, but you know, they, they have no way to care for them, so you know, they kill them at the end of the day. Well, um, well that's, yeah, and that's the reality of it, uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, so what about, what about the daily life of a feral cat outdoors? Um, can you describe that a little bit? And um, I know you've cared for a lot of ferals, Bernadette, so uh, yeah. please just go ahead and let us know a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, you know, aside from my constant worry that something is going to happen to them, <laughs> sure, <laughs> just, like, just like you would worry about any other cat, you know. Uh-huh. Um, well, think of all the, the the things that we tell people about cats living outdoors. The reasons why we want them to keep their cats indoors. You know, cars, dogs, uh, people who have bad intentions. Um, you know, any any other dangers that getting stuck in a car engine. I mean, so many things can happen to a cat when they're outdoors. Uh, those same things can happen to feral cats, and you know. They're streetwise, they, they've survived, but you know, that doesn't mean that they're immune to dangers. And um, often, you know, cats in colonies become the target of, uh, of things for people. So, you know, cats do enjoy being able to roam their territory, communicate with other cats, to go exploring. It's the nature, it's the biological nature of cats to do that within their territory. Um, along with hunting, keeping some play, things like that. 
So on the one hand, it's probably, you know, it's very satisfying for a cat to live outdoors and, and have all this, the nature and friends and things. But then storms come along, it snows, there's ice, they can't get to food. You know, dogs come running through the neighborhood, cars come down the alley. Um, there's the 4th of July, you know, I mean, they're, they're the same horrible things can happen to them as happen, they happen to other cats who live outside. That's interesting, and I know that uh, as we speak about cat colonies, there are so many out there, and just good-hearted people are taking care of these cat colonies and feeding them and, you know, trying to do the TNR and so forth with them. And uh, what if, what if a person uh, who maybe in, encounters a cat colony, wants to relocate that feral cat or cat colony. Should they even try to do this? And if so, you know, what are the steps that are typically taken to accomplish this? Well, that, that's, a, that's what people always expect when they call for a TNR. You know, they want you to remove these cats. But to start with, the cats have gathered there in colonies there's a source of food and water and shelter and those are the three things that they look for and even if they remove those cats those resources will be there for other cats who come along so removing the cats often doesn't work because you know you other cats will come along and want those same things and it can be something as simple as you know a dumpster behind a pizza shop they can get in there and get leftover pizza. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be cans of Frisbees, you know? Um, sure. And it, it can be that, you know, a, a neighbor has an indoor outdoor cat and they leave food out on their back porch for their indoor outdoor cat when other cats find it. So sometimes finding those resources that the cats are gathering for is difficult. So that's, that's problem number one. But, um, you know, there are times when a colony either one cat or many cats uh, do need to be moved. Now I'll use an example of the TNR project I did last summer. There was an abandoned house a few blocks away from me, and cats have been living there for years. The people have been feeding, and, you know, somebody posted on Facebook about a kitten, and I went over and said, oh my goodness, we need to do TNR. Oh, that, you know, and uh -huh. the feeders were glad to find us. Um, well, because the, the status of the house was in doubt, who owned it, whether or not, you know, it had been abandoned for years, whether or not the bank owned it and was going to demolish it or, you know, the, the borough. I researched everything about the house and included the borough in that search um, just to find out what they knew as far as taxes and ownership. And, um, you know, the neighbors swore up and down that the house was to be demolished. But in, in any case, the house was definitely unsafe. So what you have to do when you move cats away from where they're living, they have established territory. That is their safe place, not their turf to fight over. That's the safe place, the home that they know. And if you try to take them away from it and just put them someplace else, they will, they will do everything they can to get back to that place. And it's a terrifying experience, as it would be for one of us. Like someone takes you out of your house and puts you in Ohio, you know, and you can't get back, and you have no, like, nobody you know, no resources, just the clothes on your back. I mean, that's basically the same thing as taking cats away from a colony. So when you move them, they need to be, well, what's called transferred. They move to a 
place that has the same resources, food, water, shelter, and a caretaker to watch over them. You put them in crates, you know, like dog training crates with litter box and food, for up to a month in a protected area so that they can get to learn the sights and sounds and smells of that area as well as all the other animals who live there. Because when you move them, you're putting them in someone else's territory, which is kind of a shaky thing to do. But that way, it, it's almost like introducing a new cat to your household. You're introducing a new cat to this area. And then you can set them free from the cage and let them take them. Usually they take off. But they have grown accommodated to that area. And they'll come back to it knowing that that's where the resources are. But it takes about a month to do that. Wow, that's amazing. That's, yeah, a, that's a great way of approaching it. Uh, and you were saying before how, you know, if you, if you don't do something like that, they will ultimately probably find their way back to their original location. Uh, and you hear amazing stories about pets who find their way back to their homes that are hundreds of miles away. I mean, it's, it's incredible how smart they are. Uh, and so, you know, all this is, is great. You know, that's great that there's a specific approach that you can use to yeah. accommodate them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just in the planning for the house that I was, I was handling, there were 11 adults and seven, no, there were more kittens than that. Um, but there were 11 adults that I had to move. The kittens could all be socialized. Um, so, you know, any anyone younger than 12 weeks, I'll socialize them. But the adults all had to be spayed or neutered and given their rabies vaccines. And I happen to have a friend who has a farm that could accommodate them in small groups in her barn. And that's what I did. But I had to make sure, you know, I had to, to trap them, have a place to hold them until I could take them there, get them to their surgeries and back, make sure they were healthy, and then take them out to her farm and set them up in these crates. And she took it from there and fed them for a month before she released them. So those that's a lot of arrangements to do. And if you can't find a place to take them, you can't just take them someplace and let them go. It just, you know, it, it's, it's as cool as taking, you know, trapping raccoons and putting them out in a park somewhere where they don't know where they are and they'll probably starve to death because they can't find That them. is a great analogy, Bernadette. Really great. Um, if our listeners are already caring for a feral cat colony, can you share with them how they can find low-cost neutering and financial help possibly for these ferals? Sure. Um, you know, it's funny that, um, like, the homeless cat management team here in Pittsburgh has, has been in existence for over 20 years, and every day I find people who had no idea we were here. And, you know, yet we, we spay and neuter, like, at, at least a thousand cats a year. So, but there's no way to really get to people because un until they have the need, they don't even go looking. Shelters sometimes have what's called a TNR program where they'll even, you know, loan you a, a trap and you have the low-cost surgery there at the shelter. Um, sometimes there's a rescue, but most of the time people will call a shelter and say, what can I do about this? And if the shelter doesn't have a program, you know, they can't give any resources. So one of, a couple of the places you can look, 
um, Alley Cat Allies, the ASPCA, uh -huh. and the Society of the United States, along with many other organizations. But those ones, I, they're easy enough for people to find for me. Yes. They have, they have databases on their website for you to go in and put in your web, your, your zip code, and find programs near you. So that's, you know, that way you can see, and you, uh, usually the maps even show what they offer. Sometimes it's just the surgery, sometimes it's a full clinic where they'll, um, you know, they can even take care of, of owned cats. So whatever it is, they'll, you'll be able to find the closest ones to you. And that's actually drawn from, you know, people like us and our organization sending information out to these resources so that we're on the list when people are looking. Wow, that, that's all really great information. Uh, is there anything else that you would recommend for people who have never had experience with feral cats, but they want to start helping them? Yeah, you know, there, there are a few, a few guidelines that you would do. Um, you know, the hallmark of a feral cat is that, you know, they, you really can't handle them, no matter how well you know them. Um, some cats who didn't grow up with socialization um, may never be fully socialized. I've seen some older ones who were totally feral until they were 12 and then they came into somebody's house and they were fine as a house cat, you know. But, you know, you're, you're dealing with cats who aren't the cats like the cats you know. And so you'll be, you'll be working with them at a distance and you just have to understand that and not force yourself on it. Um, and, you know, basically their needs are like the needs of most other cats, you know, some people feed once a day, some people feed twice a day, feed at a good time when, you know, predators won't be able to get to them or ants won't be able to get to their food or, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of things like that. Um, but if you, if you just want to help, if you found a colony of cats who isolated and neutered, for instance, um, you know, you, you don't want to take it on alone without knowledge. You want to find a TNR organization. And you don't want to start feeding cats without spaying and neutering cats. Because, you know, cats can reproduce as young as four months. Cats can have three litters of kittens a year. That doesn't mean that they do, but they can. And sure. You can find three abandoned kittens and start feeding them. And, you know, the next spring, you've got a dozen kittens. And if you don't, you know, if you don't start with that as soon as possible, you have a mess on your hands. And so the most important thing is to get everybody spayed and neutered first. It is amazing. And it's, it's so great that people have recognized the name for TNR and it's going on actively across the country and beyond. Yes, yes. Definitely. I, you know, years ago in the bad old days before pediatric spay and neuter surgery, when we waited until six months for cats to be spayed and neutered, there were so many kittens around in the 80s. And it really wasn't until the late 90s that I learned about TNR, but I was out there trying to grab kitten cats with my hands, you know, it was ridiculous. But today, you know, not only do we have TNR, but we have rescue organizations. That's the best thing. Some, some, in the old days, <laughs> there, there were people who it was like the Wild West. They had, you know, <laughs> pepper and you know, this the kitten 
students at this age, you know, you should do this with them. I can't even come up with any examples on the spot. But sometimes you just knew that they were not right. And so now, not only do we have more people rescuing cats, but we have them organized into rescues, into groups. And a lot of the groups have rules, very important rules, that they've drawn from these organizations like Yelling Cat Allies who give advice on how to do this the right way. And so, you know, people out there grabbing cats and stuffing them in the attic, and yeah, yeah, whatever people used to do. It's wonderful. I am so glad. I, you know, I'm a little heartened. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very heartened that there are this many people. It's, it's a, little, a little disappointing that I started rescuing back in the mid 80s and I'm, I, I'm still rescuing now and there still seem to be as many cats, but there really aren't as many cats as there used to be. There are far fewer cats outdoors, you know, or at least going into shelters than there used to be. I think there are so statistics that, to prove that out too. Um, yeah, yeah. I, we're, we're, make, we're making a difference. Yes, yeah, you are definitely making a difference. Bernadette, I want to thank you for your time today and your expertise on this subject of TNR. I think we're a lot more enlightened about what really goes on in the world of caring for ferals and what TNR is all about, thanks to our discussion today. You also have some really great websites that I'd like to spotlight here today, if I could. Uh, One is called The Creative Cat, and I'd like our audience to know more about that. If you could please uh, shed a little light on that for us. Sure, that I'd be glad to. Um, it's the, the creative cat is actually. A, I've moved along with history as history has has come in ways to get my cats out there. Um, I always say I'm an artist today because my my cats inspired me to the point where I actually started to draw and then paint as I had always wanted to do, and it was the inspiration of how much love them that made me a success in that. Up to that point, I wouldn't stick with anything long enough to, to, to turn out a decent, any drawing or painting. And I started doing portraits of pets, and it went on from there. I, you know, behind everything that, that, I, that I create is how much I love my current cats. So I, you know, picked up photography because I was taking photo references for paintings, and then I started to have it using some of my photos. I started making gifts and greeting cards, um, and I always had a website with my artwork and advice. Then I moved to when blogging started. I started in 2009 with Creative Cat because I had a cat with um, HCM, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, who had been diagnosed with. And I started the blog in spring 2009 to talk about working with his disease and also to feature my portraits. I lost him in August of that year, um, which made me, you know, I'd been kind of lackadaisically blogging up to that point. And then I decided this was really important because people were reading the articles I'd read about his condition and about how I felt about his loss. And so I began blogging regularly, you know, several times a week and then daily. And now um, it's a place where every day has a different feature. There's a, there's a cat for adoption, there's a rescue story, there's a featured artwork, there's a uh, health and welfare article, there's other, I have a backyard wildlife habitat um, about you know, working with wildlife and, and things like that. 
Um, and it's my joy to share this information I've learned through, you know, books and conferences and experience. Um, so, you know, anyone can probably go there if they, if they love cats or if they love animals. If they just like to look at pictures, I got them. <laughs> oh, I know you do, Bernadette. It is obvious to me, and we've known each other for many years, that you just have such a passion for cats, and it's a lifelong passion. Uh, yeah. What is the URL? What is the actual website that people can go to to visit the Creative Cat? That is www.thecreativecat.net. Thank you very much. And we would also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we wanted to let you know that you and your friends can listen to a recording of this podcast. All you need to do is just visit our web, our Facebook pages at my3cats.com and at my3cats.com community or tune in to Spotify or Apple iTunes. These are all places where the podcast will soon be published. We also invite you to go to my3cats.com and sign up for our newsletters so that you'll be receiving new product announcements, exclusive offers, and exciting news on upcoming events. So that's it for now. Thanks very much. <laughs>